I'd like to introduce everyone that's listening to the first Mountain Way podcast. The Mountain Way is a charity and I will introduce the role of that charity shortly. Um, on the line with us, we have Andy, who's the founder of the Mountain Way. We have John, who is the chair of the Mountain Way. And we also have Pat, who is our clinical psychologist. In the first instance, I will hand over to Pat to give us a short introduction. Hi, Pat. Hi, Lizzie. So as you said, I'm a clinical psychologist. I've, I've been working in the area of mental health uh, for the last 20 years. Prior to that, about 10 years working in various roles as a psychologist. Yeah, I met Andy about three or four years ago when he came to speak to me about some advice on the mountain way and, and the ideas that he'd come up with of how he could help veterans improve their, their well-being after they'd been through some quite traumatic experiences. So it's this great privilege to work with Andy and the other trustees in the Mountain Way. Lovely. Thank you, Pat. Um, I'm going to save Andy until last. So, John, would you like to just introduce yourself to us? Yeah, of course. I'm John. I'm a former Royal Marine, um, part of the Mountain Way team. Uh, I left the Marines uh, several years ago. But during that time uh, serving, I, I gained operational exposure in Iraq, Bosnia, uh, Sierra Leone and Northern Ireland. Uh, joined the Mountain Way team fairly soon after it was uh, started. And uh, Andy and I share a fundamental link, I suppose, in that Andy was uh, not only one of my trainers when I when I joined the Marines back in 1992, but, but actually the premier sort of fundamental influence of my 15 months of training um, in his role as one of the directing staff. And uh, over to you, Andy. Thanks, John. Hello, everybody. I started out as a seaman running away from school in 1970. I joined the Royal Marines in 76. I left 20 years later. It was a great career. Uh, unfortunately, my experiences, particularly in the Falklands War, did have a big impact on me. I eventually discovered I was living with a thing called PTSD. That dominated my life uh, for about 30 years and um, eventually got out of it, got on top of it, if you like, um, and started thinking about how I could put things together to help other people. Um, in about 2012, I uh, started actually physically helping, but not really sure what I was doing. It wasn't until Pat and John came on board and others as well that we formed into what we are now, a charity. Um, I'm very proud of this charity because everybody's a volunteer, naturally. Uh, they put in a great deal of time and effort. Um, their contribution is uh, impossible to uh, to repay, to be honest. Um, but the most important thing is that we have actually turned around people um, who would otherwise probably not be here. The, the Mountain Ways function is to really help veterans dealing with what I call complex military PTSD. And that isn't to denigrate other forms of mental illness. But I think the military version is extremely complicated. And it's really our experiences that enable those people we help to uh, unlock their, their demons, if you like, uh, and to find a way forward. Thank you very much, Andy. Um, and I think that we've got you all here, and I think it's very relevant at the moment, given um, the current climate. People are unsure of what uh, some of these societal changes are going to mean for the future. Some of them are just living day to day, and I know it's a challenging time for all of us. So, Pat, maybe I can just hand over to you to just kind of put the effects of the virus perhaps in context of that fear of change. What are we living through at the moment, do you think? Do you know, I, I think one of the things, Lizzie, we're, we're living through is great uncertainty. Um, you know, what, what is the future going to be? Uh, how am I going to cope? Am, am I going to be personally affected? Are my loved ones going to be personally affected? Um, so, so very much there's the existential, you know, what, what will the world be? And, you know, of course, on top of that, you, you have the, the financial, we are social creatures and 
we need to have social contact, social interaction with others. I, I think the big thing is that sense of uncertainty and, you know, will I be OK? Will my family be OK? And, and you know, will will my community and will society be OK? And that reassurance that, do, do you know what, it will be OK. I, I think human beings, we're, we're remarkably resilient as individuals and we're remarkably resilient as societies maybe it feels at the moment life is on hold and you know we're not too sure what the future is is going to be I think sometimes we need to step out of that and accept it at the moment there's uncertainty and maybe having that inner confidence that you know what it will be all right I, I will get through this we will get through this we're going to be different at the outcome to what we were at the beginning and I think one of the things you know kind of linking this to, to what Andrew and I often talk about is this idea we don't want people to bounce back we don't want people to go back to their old selves and you know go back to their old routines particularly if they're unhappy we want people to bounce forward and accepting that there are some parts of life which we wish hadn't happened that we wish were different but but we can't change that so we have to accept that we have to have that as part of who we are but not the defining part and I think it's about how do you tolerate that uncertainty how do you manage very difficult situations? How do you get through it? We have choices. Do, do we bang our head against the wall and say, this is hopeless, this is awful? Or do we say, hang on a minute, how can I find that nugget of gold? How can I make lemonade out of lemons? What can I do differently? And use this as an opportunity to bounce forward, but in a different direction. Does that make sense, Lizzie? That does, Pat. I love that nugget of gold. John, perhaps you can tell us a little bit how you found living through this current climate that we're in and maybe if you have some stories or references of sort of previous changes that you've been through and how you've managed those that would be that would be brilliant yeah and I think you know we, we decided to this is our first podcast and we decided that perhaps our collective experience might primarily be of help to a, a wider audience and you know none of us here are, 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 are sort of really able to to offer with the exception of Pat perhaps you know specific remedies I, I think in terms of operational experiences and my fairly limited nevertheless valid uh, experiences of, of of actual typical high intensity combat there are th- th- there are enormous uh, amounts of anxiety feelings of hopelessness when things aren't going well there are questions that run through your mind um, especially as a commander you know will i hold up through all this which is a sort of personal quite selfish inward looking um, sentiment perhaps more importantly it's you know will i deliver Will I sort of earn my my keep here? Will I do what I've been asked to do? You know, what what will my own account of myself look like after all of this? I led a um, hundred or so men into uh, the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Uh, it was the first time in my life, although I was a 35 year old uh, major at the time, uh, commanding uh, men who were much younger, in some cases, uh, not much more than half of my age. That operation was, it was the first time in my life that there was no there was no time limit on it, and and no one knew what uh, you know the extent of this operation would be, how long it would last, what it would involve, um, would it be measured in weeks, months, or, or years? That was not so much difficult for me. It was it was it was an interesting um, problem, but I could see it was having a, it was causing Marines a great deal of discomfort. Um, what I could see around me that was working was a reliance upon and a, and a reflection of personal uh, experience. We, we, we all knew that we were ready. Um, we knew that we were trained for it and prepared for it. And, and that helped a great deal. We are naturally much more comfortable in a, in a routine. And when that's upended, that's what tends to 
to cause the problem on a micro level uh, you know what's uh, what will my own account of myself look like you know the most memorable attributes personal attributes of people are, are typically how they've overcome adversity no john you're absolutely right and, and i think there's parallels there you know this idea, you know, my own account of myself, will I be good enough? Often we place very high standards upon ourselves. Now, in your situation, people live and die by you getting it right. We can place these very high standards on ourselves. And outside of the situation you've described, I don't know if I have to be perfect. John's in a, a situation leading troops and, you know, he needs to make sure that he really does be pretty much the best he can be at all times because it's a, you know, not only is he trying to say stay alive, he's trying to keep other people staying alive. And as you said quite rightly, that that strange dichotomy, you're trying to do all of those things while trying to inflict damage on other people. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I remember very clearly you know, losing a, a very good friend um, right at the beginning of that operation in a, in a helicopter crash. Um, and it was a it was a bitter personal loss um, that happened in amongst you know a million other things that were going on as as we prepared to launch dozens of helicopters from Kuwait in, into Iraq and I remember you know actively telling myself that I had to park those those emotions and that there would be a time for um, you, you know my personal grief um, which was a tiny thing in the in the big picture but that I had to uh, I had far greater responsibilities at that moment in time and that uh, the, the death of my friend and dealing with that would, would have to wait. And, and, and I, just, I went back to a simple reliance on, on drills, you know, and by drill, drills is a, is, a, is a sort of militaristic term, I suppose. Um, but it really is a substitute for, for structure and routine and, and, and what you know has previously brought success. And John, and, yeah, sorry. I know, I was just going to say, and, and Lizzie's question, you know, to begin with about coronavirus, you know, in this time of uncertainty, you know, what, what would really help is if we could go back to our routine and, and our, our drill. You know, I get up Monday morning, I go to work till Friday, I come home at the weekend and I've got my consistency and I've got my drill. Now, you're taking that away with, with lockdown and with coronavirus. So now I've got the uncertainty and now I don't have a drill that gives me a sense of, routine structure predictability so yeah i think you gave a really good example there of the importance of routine and you know i'm just kind of thinking you know nature abhors a vacuum so you know we now have all this free time to think about stuff and and i think our human tendency is to dwell on the our failures the things we've done wrong the things that aren't going right and i liked what you said there again it's a very different situation you know, you had to focus on other people. So one of the things we can do now is instead of becoming self-absorbed and thinking about I and how this is going to infect me, maybe it's something, OK, what can I do to help others? What can I do to help my family members? What can I do to make this easier for my community? And I think we've seen a, a really good public response in, you know, people volunteering, people doing food runs for people. And, and they're actually you know, putting their needs aside. And, and I think that sense when you said to park it, you knew that eventually you would have to deal with it. But for that moment in time, to get through what you needed to do, you just needed to let that go, maybe compartmentalise it, but with an awareness that you're going to have to deal with it later on. 
I think fear is uh, probably one of those areas that probably most people are experiencing to one degree or another. Um, in its extreme, it'll be those on the front line, the, the doctors and nurses. And, and then at the other end, uh, without belittling it, people you know who, who are worried about their businesses or their future, their mortgages and so on. Those are all big fears. And how do you deal with fear? Now, I learned to deal with fear very early. Um, I didn't realize I was learning to deal with it, but I was. Um, probably from the age of five, I think, where things started, uh, you know, the, the realities of life creep in. Uh, we're, we're mostly too young to remember being vaccinated as children, which is a, a, a nasty little thing for anybody, drilling all your teeth and so on. Being wrenched from mum's arms and put into a boarding school at the age of seven was another experience that um, I suppose caused me to grow up a lot earlier than perhaps would be normal. I've got a 19-year-old son who's still living at home and uh, and I'm happy for him because he's having a great life, but uh, he hasn't been exposed to many of the things I was, uh, which is probably more my feeling. It's definitely not his. But I also think in some ways it's an advantage. And uh, thinking back to the Falklands and lying on the start line, um, waiting to go into the attack on a mountain called Two Sisters, um, that was one of the greatest fears I had to deal with because um, there was a delay and we lay there for quite a few hours in the, in the cold waiting for the word to go. Uh, knowing that the enemy knew we were there, so we'd lost the element of surprise. Um, and not knowing exactly, you know, how it's going to pan out, nobody can predict that. Um, and your mind does range off. And I remember thinking all sorts of bizarre ideas. One of them was to uh, actually walk up to the enemy and say, look, put your weapons down, chaps, we don't have to kill each other. Of course, that was totally unworkable and, and uh, possibly even treasonable. Uh, another thought was taking me back to the careers office uh, the day I walked in there unknowing that um, this is where it would lead me. In fact, horribly naive. Um, and I think that these are parallels for what people are fe feeling today, that uh, even a short while ago when I came back from the UK on my last mountain way trip, I'd heard there was a problem but didn't really know much about it. Um, actually caught something. I don't think it's coronavirus. I think it was just an ordinary flu bug. Put myself in bed the day I got home here. Um, and I've been inside the house ever since. This is day 46, I think. And that fear slowly grew on me as I started watching the news and realizing how serious this situation was. But uh, an underlying fear, which is even greater, is the fact that we don't really know the facts. Um, and there's a lot of conflicting information. Um, so the, the, the real point here that, that, that I'm trying to make, I think we're all trying to make, is how do you actually live with fear? Um, this, this is a time when you're going to face something you've never faced before. And your comment you were making about structure and routine in your life is, is one big factor here. Because uh, to, just to reiterate what John said about the drill, that's exactly what it is. Um, my mind fell back on the drill. In other words, do exactly what you've been trained to do. Now, if you haven't had any previous training in how to live in lockdown, and I think very few of us have, then you've got to create that drill for yourself. And one thing that I offer the people we help in the Mountain Way is a thing called a life plan. After they finish their program with us, which runs for about two months um, and culminates in 15 days uh, with me alone, either in the mountains in, in France or here in Ibiza in the winter, um, I create a thing called a life plan, and this is a, a document which encompasses all sorts of things, but also aims to give them some structure for the future, um, because at that point they enter what we call the post-traumatic growth phase, and this is really, okay, you've dealt with a PTSD, uh, don't confuse that with thinking there's a cure, uh, there isn't, you've learned how to cope with it, you've learned how to control it, uh, you've even managed to eradicate some of it, um, but the reality is you've got to carry on living, and for that you definitely need some form of structure. So I think that would be my first bit of advice to anybody sitting out there, if you're sitting at home wondering what to do. Why not write yourself a simple little program? Uh, it doesn't have to be comprehensive, but something that gives you something to aim for. Because the guys of PTSD often wake up in the morning and think, what do I do today? 
uh, and all they're lacking is that routine. And pe- yeah, people will have routines. You know, um, it, it's just that they get they get buried a bit, and uh, it's difficult to to find them. And so I think you know the, the summary of this point is that they're, they're really useful drills, routine structure. It's all the same thing. You know, it's it's, it's going to be no good to just sort of sit on a, a sofa for six hours eating packets of biscuits. You know that 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 is an unhelpful thing to to do and that sort of wallowing almost you know drill drills can be really easy things really simple things and you know not trying to trivialize this but but just getting out of bed at a reasonable hour you know keeping your surroundings sort of ship shape start by things that are short in duration easily accomplished um, have a start point and, and a very visible end point focus on building a new set of drills that act as a handrail and will substitute for the drills that you've currently lost. Yeah, this is this is a real challenge to people's self-discipline because work is a discipline of its own. We, we have to turn up on time. We know what we have to do and all that stuff. And that dominates most of our working life. So um, in, in a sense, it, this is a real challenge because there is nobody demanding that at the moment. Uh, and that's leading to anxiety and a, a sense of hopelessness as well that sort of creeps in. Um, I found in the past these things come in waves. You suddenly get a thought it chain links to another thought and before you know what's what you're thinking of negative stuff now the point i want to make about negative stuff is i've noticed in my own dealings i'm on facebook every day um i'm in a couple of groups which help me keep track of the guys we're helping and hopefully find new people that need help uh and it's unavoidable and um i would honestly say at this point in my life this moment in time if i could i'd walk away from it entirely uh, because the benefit i'm getting from it is pretty much nil Um, But I think it reflects also the fact that most people are feeling the same thing. And and one outlet for them is to write stuff that comes across as quite negative. So I think it's just a reflection of the way we are at the moment. Um, Controlling these influences is another important part of dealing with this. And we're all being able to sit at home and and, and do virtually nothing, which means inevitably we're going to stare at the television a lot, as you just mentioned, John. Um, My personal view about the news is some there is some good stuff now. They are making an effort to try and cheer us up and what have you, which is great but it still comes with a lot of negative stuff as well. So I'm much more selective with what I actually look at on television. And this even comes right down to looking at box sets on Netflix or whatever, uh, you know, which all seem to have a kind of a, the, the, the structure of the story is well known. It's been around for centuries, aeons. Um, but it does sort of focus on the sort of challenge of dealing with o- overcoming problems. And you can have too much of that. And I found that going back to very simple stories and uplifting stories that have got no violence, uh, no cops and robbers, no special forces and all that sort of stuff, um, actually is much more appreciated now than it was beforehand. And it's done as a discipline to help me feel better, not because I need to be entertained. Think about the things that are affecting your morale and do something about it. Definitely. And I, I think I think, think in the way that we think about others as well, going back to that point about you know, what will my own account of myself be at the end of this, um, you know, d- don't, don't do too much, spend too much time sort of in, inwardly you know, looking and, and examining. You know, there's a there's a military analogy here with that that age old um, question that's been studied and researched, uh, which is generally called um, "Why do men fight?" You know, uh, and and it's I think it's pretty much accepted that it's that it's not for queen and country. It's it's about it's about peer respect, the other the other um, you, you know colleagues in that foxhole in that fire team in that section in that platoon you know whatever it is uh and and i think the parallel here is 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 using that in terms of how you interact with your your family you know your your, your partner your spouse your children or your or your friends 
you are you are not acting just just on your own but you know you have responsibilities to, towards others and like as i said you know will be defined everyone will be defined of, of, of sort of how we how we got through this you know you it's not about what you owe to yourself with your own personal structures and discipline and routines and, and so on and, and optimism um it, it's what it's, it's it's as much as what you owe to to other people um that, that you know with a very much sort of a view of operating in a team um and and that could and that can be just calling calling a friend just to just to check up on them there are sort of two sides there's the inward facing and the outward facing there's a sort of what, what what can each of us do to 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 help ourselves and then collectively how do we how do we operate within the small unit that we find ourselves uh, isolated within the talking bit is, is is critical i personally get tremendous um satisfaction in so many different ways from our conversations which we tend to have a skype conversation every fortnight but i spoke to my brother last night who's a truck driver um he was on his way from felixstowe to liverpool i think with a lorry load of paper to be turned into toilet rolls <laughs> and he was telling me that he was on the m25 and there was nobody else in sight he, he i couldn't get him off the phone uh, he was hands-free on whatsapp the, the value to him i got a, a buzz out of that thinking oh, i've just helped my brother i've got a sister in australia in a similar situation but you know we live in a wonderful time where we've got these wonderful toys these fantastic technology now where we can do all this uh, and so the isolation thing is just it's changed in the old days in 1940 you know mrs mcginnis used to look over the fence and talk to my mum that sort of situation people were communities in that sense well we're, we're now digital communities if you like and of course we're global no longer sort of just the people in the street so um you know i think we should make full use of this but of course there are people out there particularly probably my age and older who aren't so savvy with this kit and, and those are the people that do need somebody that will just make a phone call or even write a letter i think it was you pat was talking last week about letter writing as an old skill that's gone out yeah do, do you know, what, what a what, pleasure to get one apparently i just want to kind of summarize a couple of points that that you and john have made and you know so, so part of my role is, is working with um, service users in an inpatient setting and and, and actually we, we talked about the art of letter writing because you know it's so much more meaningful being able to feel and and hear that the ink on the pen it, it can be a very um Completely relaxing, actually, you know, that skill of letter writing. And quite a few of the service users that I'm working with have actually said that they're finding, you know, they're writing letters now, which they haven't done. And and what's also nice is they're getting letters and cards back, which they're able to put up on onto their walls and onto their notice boards. And, you know, so what you're now seeing is a visual reminder of my connection to other people, which you don't really get if it's an electronic WhatsApp one because it's on your phone. I think one of the things I'm, I want to just come back to for, for both Andy and John you, you talked about in those military situations you're facing very you know very real life threatening um, situations and even in those settings there were waves you know there's times when it's worse there's times when it's more manageable and we will fluctuate throughout the day throughout the week we're going to feel do you know what this is manageable and I'm okay and then we're going to have a wave where we're feeling very overwhelmed so you know I myself and you know, my partner and, you know, my colleagues, we, we, we've been honest. We said, you know, sometimes I felt really overwhelmed by this and I've had a really good cry or I've spoken to people about how scared I am. But I know that it comes in waves. And, and sometimes when it's in that really deep, dark, scary time, I just need to get through that wave. The other thing you, you mentioned, John, is that structure. You have to be willing to put the effort in. So, you know, we, we often talk about willfulness and willingness. So one of the things we need to do is, is be willing 
to put the effort in to make this situation manageable until it passes, remembering like a wave, it will go. I remember as an undergraduate, we, we had a lecture on this and, you know, it was saying that every living creature from bumblebees to plants to human beings have a structure. The sun rises at a set time in the east and it goes around for 12 hours and sets in the west. Plants know that. And they've done studies where they've taken plants and they've put them into artificial environments and they've given them, you know, the same amount of light, but at a random time. And the plant doesn't grow. Um, there, there was a lot of work for the International Space Station. And when, when they started putting people up into to space, you know, day and time blur into one you know, or day and night rather. And one of the big things they did is they made sure that astronauts had a structure. They had routine. They have things that they have to do. And some of those things are very boring and monotonous, but they provide a structure. And, and I kind of think, you know, years ago when when sailors used to scrub decks and squaddies used to, you know, to, to polish their boots. It's about giving you a structure, giving you something to do. And, and the good thing about that is when you've done it, you can step back and say, I've done that. I've achieved that. So it's about finding those again, Lizzie, as I said, those small nuggets of gold. How can I make a structure? How can I be willing to put the effort in to have that structure? How can I tolerate the wave of my emotions? How do I balance my own needs, my selfishness with my selflessness and doing things for other people? And these are all challenges. And, and one thing I'd say about human beings is we're actually very good at making problems. But as a species and as individuals, we're also very good at solving problems. So one thing I would be saying to, to people and Andy, you know, the, the people we have in the mountain way is, OK, the problem to be solved is how do I make a structure for the month, for the week, for the day, maybe even for the morning, afternoon? Maybe even do I need a structure for the hour and getting that balance? Yeah. Sometimes a bit of time on social media is good, but too much time there likely to be unhelpful. Sometimes watching films um, which are happy, which are just feel good films uh, are really good. And, and actually reminded me of my mum when my mum was terminally ill uh, 20 years ago. And, and, you know, there were there were times when it came in waves and I ended up watching a lot of Dad's Army. And the reason I watch a lot of Dad's Army is it's a very familiar format, very familiar pattern. You know, we know Sergeant Wilson's going to raise eyebrows. We know Pike's going to get called a stupid boy. We know that Frazier's going to say we're all doomed. So and um, Corporal Jones is going to say don't panic. So, so there's that, that familiarity, routine and predictability. But the reason I, I think I really liked watching it is there was no violence in there. No one died. And it was, you know, 25 minutes, half hour of escapism. But what I didn't do is I didn't permanently inhabit this fancy world of watching Dad's Army. I used it as a respite to have a break from what was going on in the world. And I think that's what we need to be doing. Let's face up to the stuff that's happening. As John says, you know, sometimes we need to park it, but we do need to face up to it and deal with it. Sometimes we need a structure to get through things. Sometimes we need to tolerate it as a wave. But we always need to be willing to do what is necessary to make a situation manageable. Because the alternative is we do very easily fall into a pit of despair. It, a lot of the time it's getting them out of the pit of despair, which is a lot harder than dealing with the problem. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Don't ever under, underestimate the power of very small 
positive steps. You know, um, there's that very famous, I don't know if you, either of you seen it, that um, United States Admiral who was the commander of the United States Marine Service. And he gives a really good talk about getting up each day and make your bed. Yes. You know, that real simple thing. Just make your bed because it sets you up for the day. It's given you a sense of achievement. It's given you something. It's a structure. And I think sometimes we underestimate the power of those very small, simple steps. And, yeah. and we need to be willing to, to put the effort in because the alternative is that we will dig ourselves into a pit. I think, I think also, Pat, it's, 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 it's a realisation that, that change is upon us, you know, and, and an acceptance of a, of a new normal. Um, you know, human beings are, are, um, are, are generally quite, quite happy and content within their comfort zone. Uh, you, you know and 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 stretch on the on a positive side you know sort of ambition or or development personal growth those 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 goals and those achievements all typically lie outside of our comfort zone in as much as you know we have to we have to put ourselves out there a bit to really reap rewards now that's a separate separate thing but but in this situation that that, that millions of people are, are undergoing now um it, it's it's more of an acceptance of look this has happened you know I, I must do my best now to to turn this into my new normal acceptance followed by like you say stru- structuring new patterns new new habits it, it's it's inefficient to hark back and and long for the past things have changed I, I, I I've certainly um, I can certainly relate to that in in terms of military operations you know when things start getting um, a little bit sporty you, you know there's an instant acceptance that okay this is this is what it's like now you know um in, in escalating steps you know deployment to a military theater preparation um and then ultimately you know being in a firefight with with bullets flying you know there has to be an acceptance that this is the situation i'm in yeah and john do you know it made me think it kind of just brought to mind the serenity prayer you know, have the wisdom to know what you can change and what you can't. Be able to accept what you cannot change, change what you can, and importantly, to know the difference. And, you know, there's nothing really new under the sun. As a psychologist, I'm, I'm saying things that, you know, as military um, commanders, you're aware of being part of your military training. You know, we come into the serenity prayer, which has been around for a long time. There's lots of sources of information to say, OK, do you know what? I, I need to accept what I cannot change. I can't change coronavirus. I can't change lockdown. But what I can change is how I respond to it. I'm going to respond to it in a way which is helpful. I'm going to respond to it in a way which makes my life more tolerable and manageable in this moment. And one of the, the you know very famous psychologists, psychiatrists, was a chap called Viktor Frankl. And, you know, he, he survived the Holocaust and, and was in Auschwitz, I believe. And, and one of the things he says is our last of our human freedoms is our freedom to choose how we respond. And, and I think that that might be the thing. We, we have a choice now. We can respond in a skilled way, in a helpful way, in a growth way, or we can react in a mindless way, a willful way. We can bang our heads against the wall. We can say, I don't like this. This isn't fair. I don't want this. That's not going to change anything. And actually, we, we can decide whether or not we take these experiences and we build ourselves our new castle or we build ourselves a prison. 
And we have that choice and we have that power within us. You know, Andy, you, you spent 20, 30 years struggling through your experiences in the Falklands by yourself. And I think, you know, one of the things as a psychologist is it is OK to need help. There's no shame in struggling. And actually, the bravest thing you can sometimes do is admit that you need help. And, you know, we do that by talking to each other. We do that by being there for each other. We do that by sharing our experiences. And that's something I think is going to be common in, you know, my experience as a clinical psychologist, Andy, your experience and John's experience, you know, as Royal Marines, you're there for each other. You talk through things, you, you do express. And that is where problems arise when people don't acknowledge that, you know what, they're struggling. They're scared. There's nothing wrong with being scared. There's nothing wrong with needing help. What we need to be able to do is say, how do I get help? And, and it's having that courage to be vulnerable. Absolutely right, Pat. Um, I'm just thinking as you're speaking there about the relevance. Um, well, I think we all know that women are far better at talking about their issues than men are. This is possibly why they live longer. Um, and also they don't drag in the coal so much as we do. But uh, the bottom line is um, it's, it's a dilemma for the male because there is a perception of what a male is. And even though that seems to be changing with time, uh, it's not changing dramatically. I think DNA wise imprinted deep down inside all of us we still have a clear view about uh, what a male's role is. And and one of those is not whining and whinging about your problems. Uh, and it's taken to an extreme in the armed forces, no doubt about that at all. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably the same today, but go on, mate. No, I, I just want to say, you know, you and Andy, you know, I, I think, you know, that there is a big biological evidence base for differences between genders, but also we need to be aware that men and women are socialised differently. Yes. And Society places different demands on men and women and different expectations. But but what's interesting there is vulnerability in civilian life is, is a strength. Vulnerability in a military environment is really hard because, John, you know, if you have a, a, a member of your squad that you're leading who's vulnerable, he puts his, his peers at risk. And, you know, he doesn't want to be ostracised by them. He doesn't want to be the one who lets the team down. You, you spoke earlier about, you know, not letting... The, the squad down, not letting the, the regiment down. And ultimately, I, I kind of disagree with you because I do think ultimately I think there is that big thing about queen and country. But but in the here and now moment, my understanding from from veterans is they don't want to fail because they don't want to let their mates down. Then they don't want to let the platoon down, the regiment down, the corps down, the whatever it is. But they also Pat, don't want to let themselves down. And that's yeah. the point I'm making here about the, the perception of a male. Um, the greatest um, sign of weakness is, is failure in that context. Um, and this is what I'm saying. I, I, I think the military, I, I can understand that. And, and I think that has a really valuable role. But outside of the military, and I think this is maybe where some of um, our veterans that, that we work with struggle, is because they're still holding on to that. I need to be strong. I need to not yeah. let others down. I need to not let myself down. And it's a sign right. of failure. Yeah. And I think that serves a role and a function in the military. But to recover, to overcome your trauma, I think you need to be able to let that go and have the flexibility of saying, yes, that was needed when I was in the Falklands, when I was in Bosnia, when I was in Afghanistan, Northern Ireland and, and the places that you've served. But now I'm no longer there. I need to have the courage to say, do you know what? Those things really caused me a, a problem and I need help and I need to talk about it. And I think that's where 
it gets really difficult. And I think, John, again, that brings uncertainty because there's not a structure. Definitely. And, you know, my mind, you know, sometimes I think about, the, you know, what's called the wartime spirit, you know, in the Second World War. And, and, and actually, uh, a lot of the privations that people are suffering at the moment are, are far greater because, the, the, you know, because of this mandated isolation. So, you know, there's none of that going to the pub or, you know, listen, you know, or gathering around a radio listening to Vera Lynn, you know, or gathering around a piano singing songs. You know, it, perhaps it's helpful to think about challenges that are in, in many ways are, are far greater than the ones we, we face today. And, and what exactly was that wartime spirit? Getting together, everyone pulling their weight, everyone doing what they can, huge, huge amounts of acceptance. Um, huge amounts of acceptance of the of the new normal. Ultimately, a positive spirit, knowing that that we would prevail. Um, you know, there are there are direct parallels here, and you know, this podcast is not is not designed to um, to be a collection of uh, remedial uh, advice. Far from it. It's supposed to just you know be some interesting, hopefully, discussion on on some parallels and and some ideas. You know, if you can find someone who's still alive who who had to deal with you know living on rations for years after the war ended. Um, you know what was it like? What was it? What was it like being uh, evacuated as a child? You know, people have been through similar similar things in history, and and perhaps there's comfort to be had and reassurance, more importantly, in 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 asking others to tell their stories. And I don't think our DNA has changed that much over the last seventy years. So the qualities that helped Britons cope with those stresses then are still there today. You know, we've got them. As a species and as individuals, we are remarkably resilient. You know, we, we will survive this. The world will be different. And maybe we need to accept that. Do you know what? I, I'm not going to go back to what it was before. It's going to be different. It's going to be, John, you, you said that new normal. Instead of seeing that new normal as as a loss, you know, I've lost my my routine. I've lost what I had before. You know, it's kind of forced upon us the opportunity to say, actually, do you know what? I can do something different. You know, maybe I didn't want to do something different, but I've got to now. So I'm, I'm going to work out how I do that. Uh, just to go back to the mountain way, we only have three criteria. The first one is, are you a bona fide veteran? The second one is, have you been diagnosed by a competent authority with PTSD? And the third one, uh, the most difficult one to ascertain is, will you step up to the programme? Are you going to make the effort to make the changes that have to be made? Because nobody else can do this for you. And I think this is the underlying problem with most people suffering from a whole range of things is, is facing that stark reality that the medical people can do an awful lot these days, much more than you know previously. Obviously, they can only go so far. Uh, what's required is that you, the individual, have to make the effort as well. It's crept into our psyche a little bit, that, that the belief that if anything goes wrong, it'll get sorted by somebody down the road in the hospital. Well, the stark truth is it can't always be. And and I think where PTSD is concerned and the related issues that we're referring to today, the only pe people who can solve this problem is you yourself. And you've got to make that decision. And that's where it comes back to the uh, the self-discipline and, and background and all that sort of stuff. It, it is a big challenge for a lot of people, no doubt about it. But the other thing is um, what, what, what I think is an underlying theme here, which is coming out quite clearly, is, is the positive in this negative. And I know that's become a bit of a cliche, but I use that all the time when I'm helping guys understand their own problem. Um, that, you know, if you can find the good that came out of the bad, then that not only reduces the, the power the bad event had over you, uh, essentially what caused your PTSD, but 
you can move on from that and use that uh, energy, if you like, to to spur you in a new direction. Um, and out of this comes a lot of things. And one of them, of course, which you really hear mentioned these days, but I think we've all got it now, is wisdom. Wisdom as a, re as, as a result of our experiences. You can talk with authority about something. I just jotted down a list the other day. I started looking at things that I'd seen on the news and what have you. You know, Captain Tom Moore is probably one of the best examples at the moment. I'm not sure what he's up to at the moment, but he must be getting close to 30 million. <laughs> Unbelievable figure. Uh, and he's still going up and down his garden on his Zimmer frame. It's just incredible. And he spurred off a lot of other people that are doing similar things. And, and, and that's the whole point, isn't it? The more people that get to hear about this stuff, the, the more it, it, it energizes them to actually look at their own life and think, yeah, I could actually do something more than I'm doing at the moment. So from what I've heard, some of the most important things that we can use to cope during change at the moment, and feel free to make a comment or add more value to any of these as I go through them. Um, so we've heard about community support. We've heard about acknowledging your emotions and being aware that they're there and they're not they're not wrong, but they are there. Thinking outwardly, um, sort of about your surroundings rather than inwardly about yourself. Um, perhaps volunteering might help that, reframing your goals and plans, thinking, was what happened prior to this pandemic what I wanted? Can I reframe that and work on that during this period to make sure that in the future I'm doing what I want? Being mindful of other people, mindful of people in your communities, creating structure where you don't have structure, not necessarily finding it, but creating it for yourself if it's not there. Proactively living rather than reactively living. So being proactive, working on new things, finding things to do rather than sort of reacting day to day to what's happening seeking positivity rather than being a complete open funnel to negativity, looking out for others who are fearful. So there may be people listening to our podcast that are actually thinking, well, I'm, I'm feeling okay, but they can help recognize people that aren't feeling okay and maybe advise them on some of these things that we've talked about today. Physically moving, being physically active rather than sitting on the sofa and, as you say, potentially wallowing. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking when you were talking, you know, we have a choice. We can be an active participant in our life or we can be a passive observer. Now, coronavirus and PTSD, you know, has very much pushed you into being an active, sorry, a, a passive observer. You know, there's not much I can do. I've had these experiences. But then, Andy, as you said, you need to, you need that willingness to say, well, I actually have to now take responsibility and ownership of doing something different. Women may be more willing to seek help and more willing to talk about it. So, maybe instead of looking at the differences between genders we, we kind of acknowledge that actually men and women actually all of us as human beings are going to be at some time or another facing something in life whether it's coronavirus whether it's a traumatic military event maybe it's losing a job and end of a relationship we're going to be faced by something which to us is catastrophic and and really distressing and it's okay to be human and it's okay to, to be upset and distressed. It's okay to ask for help. And actually, regardless of your gender, your age, you know, the bravest thing you can do is ask for help. If you really are concerned about your well-being or the well-being of other people, you know, make sure you contact your GP. Make sure you use local services. There's charities such as the Samaritans, which are really helpful in the UK. I think there's international versions as well. You know, if you are concerned about your ability to keep yourself safe or your well-being, you know, don't be afraid to speak to your, your general practitioner, local services and and get the help that you need, because actually it's a sign of great courage. We're not going to be the same 
as we were before. And I don't want any of us to be because that means we haven't grown. And that's our opportunity. And that's the nugget of gold we've got. What am I going to do differently with my life when this is over? Because it will be over. It reminds me about what you're saying of that old um, Soren Kierkegaard quote about uh, life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forwards. We will only understand this when we look back upon it all. In the meantime, there has to be a fight every day that must be positive, take it on. It's the the only way to get out of of what might appear to be desperate situations is to to live forwards and, and take it on. And I think just, you know, maybe just holding on to, even if it's a glimmer of holding on to hope, people who, um, survived in you know internments in really unpleasant situations the one common theme that they they seem to have is hope our faith as a society of, of human beings that actually you know we will get through this and things will be different and unfortunately that that's part of life well, there was an interview with uh, with, with terry waits the other day um, you know he was imprisoned for about four or five years in beirut in the 80s and he he had a heavy dependence upon um, routines as much as he could but there's a very good example of someone who who remained positive of course he had he had a great deal of uh, religious faith um, that was of, of use to him as well but you know that it, it was positive spirit and an optimism that uh, that he would say worked for him faith john is a very important topic I, I say to our guys you've got to have faith in what i'm telling you it's no good questioning does meditation work what's guided reflection and cognitive reframing and so on I explain this all to them in, in very clearly uh, and we go through it in, in great detail. But at the end of the day, without their faith, it isn't going to do anything for them. And and that's the, the central point here. You can choose to stand where you are looking backwards uh, or you can move forwards. You can bounce forwards, um, having having put that in the past. It really is that simple. It's just making that simple decision to look forward instead of backwards uh, and uh, you know make make use of what you've got in terms of experience to help you go forward have this open mind that you know you can do things differently be willing to try meditation be willing to try cognitive restructuring or reframing you know be willing to try these things and if it doesn't work say okay what did work what didn't work what can i learn from that the nugget of gold and a whole podcast i'd say you know be willing to talk talk to others and what you find is when people start opening up is actually we're not as different as we think we're a lot more similar then we are different as, as a species. And, and I think we need to find that common humanity that we have as human beings instead of the difference. I just want to say um, a big thank you to everyone. Um, this has been a fantastic uh, conversation. I hope that anyone listening has found it really helpful and useful and insightful. And maybe they can put some of our, our tips in practice, if not themselves, then with people that they know might find them useful. If you have found it useful, you can always head to our website, which is uh, mountainway.org. We do have a Just Giving. Donations aren't mandatory, but they're, of course, welcome if you if you want to make a donation. And our page is at justgiving.com forward slash the mountain way. But most importantly, we'd like to hear from you. If you have a question or a comment or a topic that you'd like to recommend that we discuss in a future podcast, please feel free to email them to me, lizzie at mountainway.org or through our Facebook or social channels. But yes, thank you everyone for taking part. I'm really excited to to get onto the next podcast. Thank you all very much. (music) 